are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Luke 10, 1 through 4, and then 17 through 24. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that same time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. All right. Thanks, Craig. Well, I don't know how you feel about running errands. I don't know if you would rather skip it or if that's something you enjoy doing. I should say as an aside, running errands maybe this year is a little bit different than it used to be. So you might be running decidedly less errands and relying on Amazon Prime. But in general, I don't know how you feel about errands, if you like them or don't. It may well have to do with the place where you are going. And if I had to choose any place to run errands, I would hands down go to the hardware store. And you know that you are now officially a boring grown-up when you like to go to the hardware store. I remember my dad, speaking of his birthday or Christmas, opening a, a gift You know, and I'm a kid, and it's a tool, and I'd be like, oh, the poor guy, he got another tool, but he seemed pretty happy about it. I didn't quite understand it until now. It doesn't matter to me, frankly, if it is Home Depot, Menards, or we live up in Zimmerman, so there's that little uh, hardware hank up there. I just love to wander around those places. I don't need to spend any money. I can just go look, you know, in the, the light bulb lamp section, and then the outdoor equipment and the tools, and the building supplies. I can run that kind of errand no problem, probably followed by an ice cream cone. So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Today we're going to look at an errand of sorts. It's an errand in Luke chapter 10, an errand that Jesus sends us on that is far more meaningful than any place on earth that we could go otherwise. In fact, errand is probably a little loosely used because really what we're talking about here is mission. A breathtaking, dangerous, lifelong mission 
that we are invited to. And Jesus has some instructions for his disciples that he wants to give to them, both as they go, that's the first part of what Craig read, and as they return. And it is these instructions from Jesus that we want to see today because this is our mission too. Look at Luke 10 with me, follow along in your Bible on your phone, and we'll get started. We are going to see what there is to see. That's how this passage finishes. Blessed are those who see. We did kind of bookend this thing, but it really is 24 whole verses in Luke chapter 10. And so I'd encourage you to fill in that gap sometime later today before you go to bed or tomorrow. Read Luke 10, 1 to 24, and see all of what's happening here. The scene is set in these opening verses where Jesus appoints and sends 72 others. Now it says others because they're in addition to Jesus' 12 disciples that he sent just one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 9. So here's 72 more. Now we know that Jesus didn't just have these 12 disciples who were following him around, but there was this whole company of men and women who were following Jesus. And now he's adding to that first number of 12 and appointing 72 more. Now some of your Bibles, I wonder even if some of the Bibles I see out there, any of them say 70 Anybody see 70? It's about a 50-50 toss-up. And the reason that we see those two different numbers is that in the early manuscripts, remember they didn't have the copy machine back in the office, but they were hand-copying these manuscripts. And somewhere in there, there was a scribe who didn't quite see the number right. Who knows, maybe the candlelight was running low or it was smudged or something. And so there's this little error was it 70 or 72 that got into the manuscripts and then it's copied on from there. So that's why 70, 72, we're not exactly sure. But the point remains the same regardless of what that number was. Jesus is appointing about six times the previous number of 12. So I'm going to call it 72 today. And he's sending them out in pairs to the towns up ahead to prepare people for Jesus who's coming. Now, this is an important corrective, I think, to how we sometimes caricature discipleship. Following Jesus does not mean just staying at Jesus' feet. I want to show you a picture from our kitchen the other day. All right? When it is supper time, and typically at our house, Esther cooks, I do the dishes, and now the kids do the dishes too. The dog is just right on her feet underfoot, and she's tripping over our dog. His name is Snickers. She takes three steps one direction. He's there. She goes to the fridge door. He's there. And I snapped this picture thinking of this passage. He's just this little shadow down there. But this is not the total picture of discipleship. It's not just about staying at Jesus' feet, but being sent by him on mission. One theologian put it this way. He calls us to him in order that we might go for him, in order that we might introduce others to him. And that was pictured for us today with Liam in his baptism. Liam is called to him to go for him and share the good news about him. And I can't wait to see this little guy grow up. I mean, he might hit home runs like his dad, He might ride horses with his mom. 
And that will all be great, but what I'm really excited about is to see this calling and commissioning on his life unfold before our eyes because Liam is sent on mission by Jesus. And now here's Jesus' first bit of instruction. He says in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Perfect passage for this time of year in Minnesota, isn't it? I mean, it is harvest time. It has been now for a little while. Cornfields, soybeans, pumpkin patches, apple orchards. The harvest is ready. And when the harvest is ready, the clock is ticking. So you have to get out there and bring the harvest in. There's this window of time that the workers have to work with. In Jesus' day, they would hire, and still today, they would hire extra workers just at harvest time. Because depending on the crop, you might have a window of a few weeks or even just a few days to bring the harvest in. And here Jesus is sending out another 72 plus 12 from the previous chapter. And he still says the workers are few. Do you know that there are over 7 billion people in the world of whom 2 billion have never heard the gospel shared with them? That means one in four people on the planet have never heard that God loves them and send his one and only son to die for their sins so they could have everlasting life. On a more local level, we know that we have friends and neighbors and coworkers and classmates who do not know about God's love for them in Christ. The Bible says the harvest is plentiful and we need more workers in the field. Now that does not mean church workers, mind you. More church workers and pastors would be great, and we hope they're raised up among us too. But this simply means followers of Jesus. You think of that original 12. Fishermen, a tax guy. That's who Jesus is calling. That they would be ready to live their lives on mission and share the good news of his salvation. Jesus says we should ask the Lord of the harvest. Isn't that amazing? Of all the strategizing that we can do and the planning and how can we equip and get more people involved the first thing we're supposed to do is simply to pray. That's where the tide changes when we will ask God to do it. And still in the same word of instruction, Jesus continues into verse 3, and he says, Go, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. I, I don't know about you. I, I was good with the pumpkin patches and the harvest. I do not know about this one nor is Liam's mom. You know, what is this? Lambs and wolves. Let's start with the imperative, though. Jesus says, go. I mean, sometimes the Bible is just so simple and straightforward, isn't it? Like when Jesus gives a command, we want to listen. And he says, go, with an exclamation point. Our varsity football players have been just waiting to play football this season. You know, whether it's Elk River or Big Lake or Zimmerman, wherever you live, you know, at first the season was called off. Then they decided, you know, they could play with some restrictions. And so finally, last night, Friday night, I just imagine, I tried to go to the Big Lake game, but they have an attendance cap. And I imagine that 
the coach is there with his players. It's the pregame huddle. And then the coach says, go. And these guys have been waiting to play football. And they take that field, bursting with energy, ready to play. And so it is with Jesus and the 72. This is their time. They saw the 12 a chapter earlier, and now he calls them into action. But then it's followed by this sobering word, isn't it? I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. You know, pumpkin patches sound nice. Friday night football games, I'm good with that imagery, but wolves eat lambs. These are not lambs that are going to the 4-H contest or a state fair. These are lambs that are sent into danger. And I mean, we can't make this look nicer than it is. The mission that Jesus sends us on is dangerous. Like lambs heading into a dark forest. As you know, lambs, I mean, even if you don't grow up on a farm or are around this kind of thing, we know that lambs are inherently weak. Lambs cannot boast of their strength or their ferocity or their speed. But nonetheless, Jesus sends out lambs. Now, if you know some of the stories in your Bible, as Liam is going to get to know these stories, we see and we know that this is the way that God likes to work with lambs in a wolf's world. Just think of the stories. I want you to think of the call of Moses. And God calls Moses at that burning bush, if you remember the story back in Exodus, and Moses says, God, why would you use me? I'm not a good public speaker. I can't fit two sentences together. And what does God say to him? God says, Moses, don't be afraid. I will be with you. I want you to think of the call of Gideon. Gideon says, God, I hear you calling, but I'm telling you, I'm from the weakest clan in my whole tribe, and actually, I'm the smallest kid in my family. And God says, Gideon, don't be afraid. I will be with you. And let me add this. Later in Gideon's story, what does God do? He puts Gideon at the head of the army, and he says to Gideon, Gideon, 32,000 troops in this army is too much, and we need to trim it way down. Gideon, I want you to get rid of most of them. We're just going to fight with 300. It's amazing, isn't it? This is the way God likes to operate. Or how about a last example, and that's the call of Jeremiah. What's his excuse? Jeremiah says, Lord, I hear you calling, but I'm too young. I don't have enough experience. To which God says, you've caught on by now, do not be afraid for I will be with you. My brothers and sisters, God has appointed you and sent you in spite of you. He doesn't need exceptional people because He's an exceptional God. He is looking for lambs who are willing to go, who will trust in the strength of the shepherd. Chances are, like Moses, Gideon, or Jeremiah, you might find yourself often getting hung up on your weaknesses, on what you are not very good at. You might think, God, why would you use me? I don't have very good grades. I'm not the most popular kid in my class, not by a long shot. I'm not from an important place or town or an important family. I didn't make the A-team in my sport. 
I'm not very good at a whole bunch of things. And God says to you, in a little different words this time, but words from 2 Corinthians, He says, that's okay. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So off they go, these 72. But not before Jesus gives them one last word of instruction about how to travel. Look at verse 4 with me. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And as you read later today or tomorrow, you'll see how this all continues from there. But in other words, just looking at this portion, we see Jesus saying travel light and travel quick. In the Greek word, the word that's used for purse meant money bag, coin bag, like we saw actually in the story that Bennett read. It was empty when we saw it. So think of your wallet or your billfold, or your purse, what you use to carry money. And then the word that's translated as bag actually is a technical term for the traveler's bag that they would take on a cross-country trip. So think of it like a big backpack. You know, maybe you'd get at REI or Patagonia or something. And this traveler's bag became symbolic of independence. So don't miss what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't take a purse And don't take that traveler's bag, load it up with your supplies. These restrictions are meant to show their dependence on God. In fact, he says, don't even take an extra pair of sandals. Now let me ask you, how many pairs of shoes do you take on a trip? All right? And men, don't just look at your wife. (laughs) You know it, right? I mean, you got to take your sandals for the beach. You got to have your tennis shoes. You know, you might get a workout in or go walking or running. Maybe it's a camping trip. You need your hiking boots, right? Maybe there's a formal event that you're going to go to or you're traveling to a wedding, so you got to have your dress shoes. If most of us are on a trip of any length, we probably have more than one pair of shoes along. In their culture... The sandal was for the traveler. It was the classic footwear for traveling. And any respectable person would have a backup pair along. Because if you blew a sandal on the way to Jerusalem, you didn't want to be caught barefooted. You had to have a second pair of shoes because to be sandalless was to be identified with the poor. And in an honor-shame culture that they lived in, that was a big deal. You didn't want to be caught barefooted. And here Jesus says what about that extra pair of sandals? You know, wear the ones on your feet. But that extra pair, you leave it behind. It is more than you need to carry. And I want to ask you, and I'm asking myself in Luke 10 this week, why do we carry so much extra stuff around us in life? You ever realize how much we accumulate and store and carry around with us. We have garages, but they're not just for cars. They're for stuff. And when the garage is full, then you get a shed. And when the shed is full, then you get a bigger shed. And when the bigger shed is full, then you might have to also rent a storage unit. This is the way it works in our culture. And all of this stuff requires time and attention, and maintenance. How many of you have a file at home that has all the manuals for all the stuff that you have to take care of? 
You have that file? So you've got to remember your mechanical toothbrush and that HVAC filter. And you look in that file and you realize, oh, I also got to watch the air exchanger and the dishwasher. You know, follow those maintenance routines. You've got one for your car and your lawnmower. You've got to remember to check the smoke detectors and the snowblower coming up. You see all the stuff you have to change and check and fix and winterize. And it's overwhelming. We carry around so much stuff in our life that it can be nearly impossible to go anywhere. I have a friend in the Global Y named Oscar. Oscar Ordonez is the CEO of the YMCA in Chile. And I have been a few places over the years with Oscar. And he can be on a 10-day trip. And this guy will step off the plane, and he's got the clothes on his back and this little brown briefcase. Anywhere in the world I've ever seen Oscar for any length of time That is the way he travels. He travels light. Whatever you're carrying with you in your life, you know, and I'm reminding you today, you can't take it with you. And Jesus wants to free you up and send you places. He says, don't greet anyone on the road, which doesn't sound Minnesota nice, does it? But here's what he means. What he's saying is don't be rude. He's saying don't be distracted. Don't get hung up. But this message is urgent. The mission field is dangerous, so travel quick and travel light. On your own, remember to go to verses 5 through 16. Here's where we're going to finish. We're going to go to verse 17 and pick up where the 72 come back. And they're going to give their report. And here's where we'll finish. Verse 17 says, The 72 returned with joy. Don't miss that phrase. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So the 72 are back and they are pumped because they have literally cast out evil demonic forces from people. The technical term here is exorcism. And we kind of get this weird idea from movies probably about what exorcism is. But this is real stuff. And the 72 are amazed that they have this kind of authority over the spiritual world. And it is exciting, yes, but Jesus sees that they have stopped short of rejoicing over what really matters. They're rejoicing in this spiritual power that they have. And Jesus says, no, I want you to rejoice in your spiritual home. So he's agreeing with them. When he says, if we had more time, we'd look at it. But he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He references trampling on snakes and scorpions. It's just symbolic language of their authority over demonic forces. And Jesus says, you have this authority. I have given it to you to set the oppressed free. They have no power to harm you. And then verse 20, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Bible trivia pop quiz. You didn't expect this today. But here it is. What were the names of the 72? Do you know? I don't know either. We don't know. The Bible never tells us. Their names 
are not written in the Bible, but that is not what matters, is it? They are written in the book of life. Their names are known to God. Do you know what really matters in your life? That you are personally known by God and your place with Him for all eternity is secure. That is what matters. You don't have to be famous down here. You don't have to even be well-known down here at the top of your class or the top of your field just to have your name written in the book of life. That is worth rejoicing. Jesus himself rejoices so much in this that it's like it sends him into spontaneous prayer. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, and he just turns to God in prayer. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. What Jesus is teaching and revealing about God, you would expect the religious experts to get the first dibs, wouldn't you? I mean, why would the most precious truths about God be revealed to people like us? It's what we saw earlier with the lambs. And now here we're called little children. The idea is the same. God tips the usual scales upside down and makes himself known to the smallest, not the strongest, to those who will seek him like children, not like self-sufficient, self-governed, self-satisfied grown-ups. And then the closing line of our passage, Jesus pulls aside his disciples and he has a word just for them, doesn't he? And you can almost hear this hushed tone as they huddle around Jesus and he says to them, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. That's where we began this message. Lord, help us to see what we should see. He says, prophets and kings of old, they didn't get to see it, but you get to see it. And I want to ask you on this unassuming afternoon, here in the gymnasium of Hawaii, if you are seeing it this afternoon, are you seeing the mission that God has sent you on? And I don't care what age or stage in life you are, you are appointed and sent by God on mission. No ifs, ands, or buts. The fields are ready, the wolves are waiting, and the great shepherd of the sheep is sending you out. And I pray for you and I pray for this church family that we will go in His strength with His message and His joy because your name is written in His book of life. Let's pray together. Lord, out of joyful and obedient hearts, we want to follow Your command. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to go where you send us. I ask that you would teach us to travel light and to let go of anything that hinders us. I ask, Lord, that others would come to know you through the bold and faithful witness of your people. Would you give us eyes to see these things, Lord, we ask in your name. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.